Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to the 442 Podcast. I'm James Brown, Editor-in-Chief of the magazine. And today I'm joined by three of our regular writers, two staff, one contributor, with tales of their trip to the Champions League final in a camper van that I managed to get hold of them from. What was the ma- what's the magazine called? <laughs> Practical Motorhome. Practical Motorhome. We have to thank them for that. Um, James Moore is deputy editor of the magazine, and Hunting Godson is our staff writer and looks after the mixer section. Uh, both are Spurs fans. I imagine their journey there was better than the journey back. And they were joined by Tony Evans who is a Liverpool fan and uh, the only member of the, the, the writing team there who could drive. So thank God <laughs> Liverpool won from that respect. And you also you had a, a friend along who was another Liverpool fan, didn't you? Yeah, it is. You know, I mean, there were a couple of moments when we thought of leaving the two of them. I thought <laughs> that would give them a real adventure, you know, driving off into the distance. But no, no, it was good. It was, um, and, and they were very good company. And More on that in a moment, Tony. We'll also look at the latest edition's preview of the Women's World Cup, Andy Mitten's amazing piece with Diego Maradona that made the news this week, and we'll also take a look at the Nations League as well. But first, let me take you back to last Saturday. I did a fair amount of the driving, but he did some. Um, you know, it, it's an easy, great, honestly, motorhomes, they're the, the next big thing. Forget your sports cars. It's brilliant. It drove really well, like, um, you know, up at 90 on the uh, motorway, you know, just overtaking everything. I mean, you know, shouting abuse at everyone I overtook. You know, it's like, <laughs> you're being overtaken by a motorhome. What, what kind of human are you? Because, you know, if you had a rail car, you'd be, you, you wouldn't accept that, would you? But anyway, no, it was brilliant. And, um, and what route did you take? Uh, we went down, we went through, we took the tunnel to Calais, then we drove down. Did you, so did you, you, you went on the train? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and then we... people, people who've never done that find it weird. That yeah. was the first time I had done that. That was the first time I'd been on a train in a, in any kind of wheeled vehicle, let well, alone a massive motorhome. When I had my own uh, publishing company about 15 years ago, um, Jack, I think it was Jack Barkley, I think they called him, Barkley Square, sent round a... a uh, a Bentley <laughs> and Le- Leeds with a fucking beautiful Bentley I don't know why I sent it round I think he was trying to get me to buy one and uh, Leeds were playing a team called Troy's there isn't a place called Troy's it's uh, like Arsenal it's Mo- Troy's is the name of the club it was in the Champagne region region of France and four, four or five of us went down in this Bentley <laughs> obviously just dressed like we are now not looking like the sort of people who would be driving a Bentley as we drove it onto the train at Ashford, 
the guy looked at, said to one of my mates, said, delivering it, lads? And they, went, they turned and went, no, it's his. <laughs> and, the, and the look of just confusion <laughs> of the bloke's face was brilliant. But when we got on the motorway in France, because a lot of people don't use it because you've got to pay, mm. was, did you, I mean, it was great to drive on. Oh, yeah, yeah, you know, those toll roads. I mean, you know, the, the, there's not that much traffic on it, so you just fly down them. I mean, it's uh, and that wasn't so bad. Once you get to Bordeaux, there's a stretch from Bordeaux down to uh, the Spanish border. That's, you know, that's, that's a pain, you know, and that was, ba- that was bad coming back. Mm-hmm. And then once you get into the Basque country, it's like, um, you know, it's winds and mount- mountain roads, the motorway, you know. And, um, so was it, you had a nice drive? Yeah, it was nice. I'm not too sure the so boys yeah, in the back felt it. It was very comfortable for the two Tonys uh, in the front, but for me and Hunter in the back, it was a little bit, uh, it was a little bit hair and scare at times, and we didn't have it, quite the same. Uh, was it like that opening scene of Breaking Bad? You had to have a gas mask <laughs> in your underpants and flying around in the back. It was, uh, yeah. The the thing is, you'd you'd move in the front and it moves like a car, but then but then the back reacts about a second later. Yeah. So while like they're going that way, later. and then we're turning. What were you sitting on? Were you, was it was, it was like a sofa. It was just like a sofa with a, with two belts on it, basically. So you, Without were, so you were sitting sideways? No, we no, were, no, sit, no, we were facing, facing forward. forward. So what's wrong with that? A sofa with seat belts? That sounds better. It was, I'm not complaining about it. I'm just saying, when we got to those roads in Spain, you knew we were going around some bends because okay. the back end was flying around. And where did, you, where did you park up at night? Because if you ever go somewhere like the Alice Sky... <laughs> which are obviously plagued by motorhomes. You can't park anywhere unless you're in a dedicated like motorhome car park. Was it was it like that or did you did you find some camping resorts or So on the first night it was um it was sort of planned and then that plan went out the window and we ended up in Bernay, which is a lovely little village. It's quite saucy. <laughs> <laughs> uh and we it, that was in a uh, supermarket car park. We oh, lovely! Up. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I mean that really takes the edge off, doesn't it? Yeah. A beautiful view of the recycling bins. <laughs> yeah, it was. Uh, it wasn't that glamorous, and we went and found a, a little place that was still open. Had a had a few beers and sort of chatted about the game. Um, and the woman there, very kind. She was about to close, wasn't she? And Tony had to kind of sweet talk her uh, in kind of pidgin English to to stay open. If you don't mind me saying, by the what way, what the scouse <laughs> French sound like? Or beer and finger gestures. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, she was she was about to shut. Actually, it wasn't me. She she thought it was on my own, so she was like, "Oh, you know, no." And then she looked down the street and saw the. I oh, like the old three. female hitchhiker trap. <laughs> yeah, and and thought, oh, you know, oh, I'll, I'll make a few quid out of these. And she did. You know, we had we, we had yeah. a few, so that was quite nice. And the second night, we stayed about um, uh, about two hours north of Madrid in a proper campsite okay. which was fantastic which had a uh, bar and a restaurant and the food was brilliant do you know what it's great hearing this because um, this was a pretty much of a spur of the moment thing James you got your ticket as a, as a Spurs season ticket holder yeah. and I remember you, you, you stayed at home didn't you? And you, you you were on the phone the moment it came yeah it and then online, yeah. Hunter got a press ticket yeah did you get your? Where did you get your ticket from? Yeah, I was in the press box. So okay, so mm. essentially, being a, a loyal Spurs fan and being journalists, what a fairly easy route to getting tickets. But then you were stumped, weren't you? Of how are you going to get there? And there was all sorts of talk of thousand pound airline tickets. I don't mean for we didn't consider that, but people were paying yeah. astrom- astronomical amounts to get there. So it's nice to hear. Had it? What was the food like on the way down? Was it the, the, the food was it motorway this, fare or the, the food at bistro? This, uh, <laughs> at this 
uh, campsite that we stayed at on the Friday night was really good. Yeah. So Tony had belatedly had an amazing steak. Yeah. Uh, the other Tony and myself both had octopus, which I was absolutely incredible and I genuinely haven't stopped talking about it I went since. on a date with an octopus once it was all hands <laughs> <coughs> and and ha- what was it you had Hunter to eat in, in uh, hamburger classic? yeah hamburger, hamburger. I yeah. really fancied a hamburger kids menu I don't know in France it's <laughs> hamburger <laughs> do you know what I did find out though is French motorway services have a pool which uh, you know that Swimming made my pool. day no as in like pool the, the lovely um, patisserie Okay, oh, moving pool. on. You asked what the food. You asked what the food was like. We we, we call a yeah, play. Okay, well, listen. Let's. Uh, people are sitting. I'm going. This podcast used to be good. <laughs> <laughs> so let's just get on to the football. That I mean, I don't think anyone considered that after such amazing semi-finals that the the final will be such a really. I mean, people were saying look like friendly, tense. What what were you? Who wants to start the victor or the Loser. Uh, it's funny because I think everyone watched that Europa League final on the Wednesday evening and a lot of people were saying it was like one of those kind of pre-season friendlies, yeah. you know, Premier League age a trophy in Singapore or China Makita or wherever. A trophy where, type thing. Yeah, where, where, you know, no one was really kind of at it and it didn't feel like there was the intensity that you would normally expect yeah. in a game between two Premier League teams. You know, if you look at the two games between Spurs and City in the, in the quarterfinals of the Champions League, you, you'd say that was like an amped up Premier League game. Yeah. Um, and the Europa League game was a, as a kind of a bit, a bit of an anti-climax. Mm-hmm. I don't think many people expected the same to happen in a, the Champions League final. Um, but it really did. It was just... It was I mean, over-familiarity, I think. I think if it had been Liverpool-Ajax, it would have been a very different... Or Spurs-Barcelona, yeah. uh, um, Spurs it would have been a very different yeah. sort of game. Three weeks is a long time to break between the end of the season and the, and the Champions League final. Mm. It's the longest it's ever been, right? Because the Premier League started early this year. Hunter, what was the atmosphere like in the stadium? It was in the lead up to the game. Uh, they had when the Spurs go marching in. They had "You'll Never Walk Alone," and the, the Spurs and Liverpool fans were sort of singing at each other, and it was great. And then UEFA started rolling out their sort of pre-game uh, nonsense. Imagine, Imagine dragons. dragons for ten minutes. What? Yeah, as exactly. The band, as the band, they chose to. What were they called? Imagine Dragons. Okay. Um, they played for 10 minutes. Uh, they had the Champions League song on a Forget violin. Forget all that. What was it like with the fans? Well, after that, it killed it. It was great before that. Were you that, in with the fans, building up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so what it, was it? as Hunter says, the atmosphere was really ramping up really nicely in kind of a 20 minutes before the game. Then all of this kind of UEFA pre-match gubbing starts oh, going on. You get kids it. on the pitch with drums and loads yeah. of, you know. Looked like Beijing. Over-elaborate. Over yeah, exactly. It was like 2008 Olympics absolute nonsense and it's you get like 10 minutes of that and it completely kills the atmosphere it, was it stops really? it there. Really? is that really right and you've got to ramp Even it up for again. Liverpool. oh yeah yeah the, very much the so. thing was the sense that. of european entitlement yeah it didn't really get going until the end you know mm. it's um until until they, they got the cup um it would it probably one of the flattest atmospheres i've ever seen that's really fine. weird yeah well yeah Do you think it was nerves or no i think i i, I think uefa have just contrived to kill the whole thing, you know, it's like uh, they, they, they did the best. I mean, I, I, the football. I mean, I think, I, th- I think it was it was very hot in there. I mean, you know, it was it was bacon, um, and I think Liverpool had, had a basically set plan to um, uh, you know to miss out the midfield. 
Mm-hmm. So knock the ball long because they were overrun in the second half of the Premier League game at Anfield when yeah. Tottenham went to a flat four in midfield. So especially because they were one up, they just knocked it long and said, "Come back, Evers," and you know, and, mm. and Tottenham didn't have enough to come back. What did it look like? What was it like being in the press box? You two, did you did you have um, television screens showing you the replays? Yeah, in your in your boot. What you, was there was it? one for about every four people. There was just one in the centre. So. What did you think as a Spurs fan? Now, to me, I thought as a neutral, it was definitely a penalty altered the direction. Of well, the ball. As soon as it hits, and it doesn't matter if it is chest first. It's like bat and bad. You know, yeah. you get. Hmm. I think if you're going by the letter of the law, which UEFA have made really clear, that's exactly how they're going to do handball from now on. They've written the rule; they're going to stick to it. It's a penalty, and you can't really argue with it. Mm. So, and I what did it look like in the stand from the stand, James? Did you not really know what was going on? Uh, when you've had a few beers and you're in the Spurs end, and that penalty is given after 30 seconds, that is definitely not a penalty, <laughs> and everyone was absolutely certain about that. And I, I don't want to sound like a bad journalist. I haven't actually seen it again, and I hope I never do. <laughs> uh, but I'm still certain it definitely wasn't a penalty. <laughs> it was a pen. I find that when I'm in the crowd. I mean, I don't drink anymore, so maybe I don't have the, the vision impaired by alcohol. But the often you, I'll stand, be standing at a game, surrounded by Leeds, in a away game, surrounded by Leeds fans, and you'll hear people screaming. And it obviously was, wasn't what they were screaming for. You know, it was yeah. our player... It's bizarre that that people can't see. Sometimes when you uh, when it's when it is questionable or it is wrong, then you've every right to be forthright about it. But anyway, moving along, do you, how I thought it was it was early, you know. Sometimes that's that weird thing about early to score or too early to score. I don't think it gives safety scoring that early. Well, no, do you know what I mean? I I'm not. I'm not. What do you think about that? Well, you know, Does, is it an advantage? Obviously, you're one nil up, but that early in the game, I think it depends on the game and the teams, doesn't it? And the yeah, mentality and of the team. You know, you, you, you probably if, you, if there's only only one goal in it, or you know, it's going to be close. You better score in the last minute than the first. You know, yeah. But I mean, you know, people said afterwards, and they were saying all night, oh, you know, the early goal killed the game. That's what happens with the early goals. And I was like, well, <laughs> I remember Istanbul. When you know it, Milan scored early on, mm. <laughs> and that 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 turned out quite exciting in the end, you know. Mm. So it, it shouldn't have. It. I mean, uh, it clearly it's affected Liverpool's tactics, mm. and, and you only know, changed the way they played, and they basically said to Tottenham, "Come on to us," and thinking about hitting them on the break. But you know that was the cue for Tottenham to actually put some, you know, get some pattern of play together. They had loads of possession, they had their opportunity, mm. and 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 the reason the game was so dull is because. Spares just didn't play at all. Right now, talking about selection, the Harry Kane um, selection, before you guys went, we were talking in the 442 office. And again, as somebody who's not watching Spurs week in, week out, but who saw an amazing performance in the semi final by Mora, I, I was saying, uh, my feelings, he's got to play. When you have a. There are just uh, there are 11 people, we forget that. When you go in with a player with an amount of confidence and, and belief, and f- f- to not have started him, I felt was a mistake. And and I think that actually, uh, at the time, James, you came back and said, "Well, you know, you you were quoting how a few times he'd scored before and how a few goals you'd scored without Harry Kane." But um, Southgate didn't play him last night, and obviously didn't play anyone from 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 that final. But the perception was he didn't play him because he wasn't fit. Um, James, do, do you feel, in retrospect, that it, you know he maybe shouldn't have started? I mean, I think you, I, I, there was probably an argument before that, even without the, the benefit of hindsight. Um, 
But you told me absolutely that he should play. Oh, no, no. What I said was that he would play. I didn't say necessarily that he should play. I was 100% certain that that he would play. Um, You know, Harry Kane is more than just Spurs' best player. He's like the kind of poster boy of the whole club. Mm. Uh, And he's the leader leader of the dressing room, uh, possibly the most popular player at the club, within the club. Uh, to to not you know I mean maybe you could compare him to Gerrard at Liverpool in the in that yeah. kind of Istanbul era. What was the stat that you told me before? Did you say that Spurs had only scored two league goals in the five games he was missing? It was something, something like that. It was more it was more yeah, games than that, wasn't it? I mean, it was basically when they went off the boil at the end of the season in the Premier without League, Kane yeah. in the what season. The Premier League. You know I can't remember the exact stats, but yeah, in the Premier what, League. What do you think? Do you think he should have started? I I. Because again, neither of you said it was a gamble that's not come off. It basically. was yeah, it was always going to be a gamble, and it was the only person who knew was Pochettino. But I've, I've said it before; I'd, he would have watched him in training. He knows if he if he's sharp. I don't think there's a question he's fit. He can run for ninety minutes. He did run for ninety mon- minutes, but a question of how sharp he is. And Spurs fans have seen him come back from these injuries over the last few seasons, and they know that it takes him a few games to get going. Even if you watch him at the beginning of most Premier League seasons, it takes him. A few games, you know. There's that that, that common uh, saying that he he doesn't score in August. Oh, he can't score in August, but that's because it takes him six or seven games to really. I think it was a pity. I think if you look at the history of English national football, when things have changed for the better in 1986, when Peter Birdsley emerged because Haitley was injured, the most famous one obviously 1966 when Jimmy Greaves, who I don't remember Greaves as a player, but he, you know, you read the stats, he's. He is the most prolific in terms of, uh, the most effective in terms of goals per games, England striker ever. And anybody who did see him, who's like probably in their late 50s or early 60s now, just say it was absolutely amazing. And Ramsey left him out for the player that had come mm. in for him, Jeff Hurst. Same with David Platt coming in. Same with Gaza coming in for Brian Robson in 1990. I just think you go with momentum. And, and um, what did you feel... As a, as on the Liverpool side, I think Liverpool always tend to think about themselves rather than the mm. opposition. The strength Klopp seems to be confident in his own team rather than worry about the the opposition. But were you happy that Kane was playing and Mora was on the bench? Yeah, I think everyone was delighted. I know that at Anfield they were pleased about it because you know um, I was I was talking to um, Graham Souness on Wednesday, name dropping of course, and uh, and the interview will be in four four two very soon. Um, but he was saying. He was talking about Kane. He said, I can't believe it. He said, he said Kane put Pochettino on the spot when he declared himself fit. Mm-hmm. So that, that you know, made, made Pochettino's decision much more awkward. He said, but when, when you come back from injury, he said, you need two games to get sharpness. You know, you need two games to get match fit. He said, you, know, you, you, you can run. He said, but, you know, you, you don't have the pace. You, you're not up with the pace of the game. He said, you know, you need two runouts. And Kane didn't have that. And it showed... He just, you know, his touch was off. His um, his movement wasn't ideal. You know, it wasn't great. And he was just after player he normally is. And he was dropping. I mean, he's he's got habits in the last year or so. We were talking about this on the way of dropping deeper and deeper. And he was almost at the halfway line on occasions. And you don't want Harry Kane in that area. You know, it was. And when Mora come on, he gave Tottenham an energy they hadn't had up till then. Mm-hmm. And for the first time, they started to trouble Liverpool down the middle. Mm-hmm. And you know, they had a, they had a few shots. They had. Uh, I wouldn't quite say they were chances, but they certainly knocked Liverpool off the com- comfort zone. And had Mora been playing from the beginning, I think it might have been a, a very different game. I think not. I think if you score a hat trick in the in the semi final of the Champions League, you 
that the energy and and the confidence that that instills in you would would be infectious. You've got a question Ali's place in that starting eleven, just because, as you said, Lucas has scored a, a hat trick in his last game. Ali's not had a great time in the Premier League. He's not looked like himself. He looks he looks like a man who's a bit lost at the moment. And then you think about what Tony said. He comes on through the middle, but if he'd started through the middle, he. Kane gets a lot more support through the middle. He doesn't have to drop as deep. It changes the whole complexion of that, that midfield. Tell us a little bit about Deli Ali because the amount of excitement about him, I mean, there was talking about Barcelona coming in from the season before last. What's happening with him? I think it's been a tough season for Deli. Um, he's definitely looked tired after, after the World Cup, basically. Mm. And this season, he's picked up two or three niggling but quite extended injuries for the first time in his career. Um, so he's coming back from them. He's having to deal with that. I still don't think he knows what his best position is. Uh, Pochettino uses him quite... Um, it gives him quite a varied role at Tottenham. He still doesn't have a set position, which mm-hmm. I think would actually help him in, in, in terms of growing into his own what, game. What, do you, what position do you think, James, is, is Deli Alli's? You see Spurs... I, I mean, his, his, game, best, his best uh, return in, in terms of goals and assists was a... Was a 2016-17 season where for most of it he was playing effectively as like a second striker mm-hmm. so he's playing off Kane uh, and, and making those late, r- late runs into the box he's got quite, quite a few headers that season including a couple against Chelsea in a Premier League game mm-hmm. uh, he was kind of ghosting into that space and scoring, scoring a lot of goals he was still getting a lot of st- assists and scoring some great goals from the edge of the box as well but that just seemed to be where He's shone the most consistent, consistently, maybe not in terms of all the kind of flicks and tricks that we've seen from him in other seasons, but purely in terms of the output and in terms of numbers, that that was his best season. The problem obviously Spurs have got now is that Hume and Son has come into prominence to such an extent that he needs to kind of be facilitated in that system as well. And you, it's very difficult to have Kane as your focal point. De- Deli Alli playing in behind... Sun playing on, on on the left or the right, kind of cutting mm-hmm. cutting in as well. Uh, you can't really commit to having that many attacking players, given you're going to have well, you're going to want to have another yep. wide player around Eriksen too. And I think the fluidity that they, that has resulted in in that kind of front three or the three behind the striker when they played like that has has caused him more problems. Okay, than so it's that's him. That, that that Spurs. I mean, watching it, I thought Spurs were really coming into it again, and I thought you know if. They they looked the more likely team, you know, as they as, as they went through the second half. But obviously that didn't happen, uh, 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 and Liverpool clinched the the second goal. Tony, what has this done to Klopp's stature in world football? Oh well, it puts him up there with you know the with, with, with the proper serious managers. You know, he's uh, he. I mean, at Anfield, as soon as he arrived, they had, you know they, they put his face on flags and all that, and it was premature. You know, you have to actually win something to be up there with the Paisleys, you know, the um you know, the Shankleys and, and even Benitez, you know, and, and, and he's reached that level now. Now the big the big thing from is to kick on and to to maintain this. Because I mean in two thousand and five, you know, Benitez won the uh, Champions League, uh, went back two years later, you know, and, and got beaten in the final, um, won the FA Cup in between. But all that momentum stopped then, mm-hmm. and the club went backwards. So what he's going to do, the big job and the big test for him now is to take the, them forward and to keep the progression going, which obviously means uh, uh, an attempt to win the league. The, you know, back to Istanbul next year in the Champions League, and but it, it, he's he's in a great position because 
City are about to go to war with UEFA. Mm-hmm. And um, and that's going to have an effect on them one way or another. The uh, the other so- members of the so-called, so-called Big Six are way behind Liverpool, and if you know he should be able to keep the squad together, particularly mm-hmm. this summer after winning this, um, one or two judicious buys, and suddenly you've got you, you've got a club that's you know sitting pretty compared to everyone else in the Premier League. Can I just ask you? You mentioned uh, Graham Sooner, so I know you're profiling for us. What does he think of Klopp? Well, he thinks he's done he's done a great job. But he thinks it's taken him a uh, you know sort of a, a, a you know a fair while to get things right. But there were there were endemic problems in the club that he had to address. Yeah. But you know he, he he agrees with me on that subject. He was saying the same thing to me. He said Liverpool are in as good a position as any. He said like what they've got to do is change the mentality. He said when uh, he said when we were playing and we only won, won one trophy, we'd turn up for pre-season training for the picture, the squad picture. If there was only one trophy on the picture, you'd be like, oh, you know, we need more than that. He said, mm-hmm. I've got to get that mentality. And he was talking about um, how, you know, uh, the, when when they won the European Cup, as it was then, the Champions League, he said there's all, they'd have about 20 minutes, half an hour of celebrating. He said, and then the staff would come in and take all the medals off them. And they'd say... Str- you know, straight after the... Straight, straight after it. And they'd say to them, straight to them like, yeah, that's over now. you got to think about the next one. You've won nothing next season. And... Um, and what would happen is to come... So this would be under Bob Paisley. Yeah, yeah. And Shankly, yeah. And they, so they come, come back to pre-season training. On the first pre-season day of pre-season training, one of them would come in with a box and throw, put the box on the table and say, uh, there's some medals there. If you think you deserve them for last year, you know, take them. But, you know, remember, they're not for this year. And you know, and that was the attitude. Hard, uh, yeah, very, very hard. And and he was saying Klopp's gonna be like that. You know, t- for example, Origi, Origi scores, and he becomes a, you know, he becomes a hero, and everyone always put him in the the pantheon of European Cup, Champions League, you know, goal scorers and all that. But he's not good enough. You know, get him out of there now this summer. <laughs> you know, sell him. People pay pay a premium because he scored an high profile game. Get someone who can actually play in a Klopp two, team. Two high profile games. Well, yeah, yeah, but I mean, you can't play <laughs> the, the most important games in the Liverpool calendar, possibly and, Everton and, and yeah, oh, the and final. Well, three Barcelona as well, Pardon? Barcelona as well. Sorry. So you know, yeah. but but you know that notwithstanding, he's not good enough. So you know, how do I mean? How can he? How can he not be good enough? He can't play. He's not mobile enough to play in the Klopp team. He's not intelligent enough to play. Are you sure, he's good enough to d- to do what he does. Well, yeah, which is like. You know, Ronnie Rosenthal was a much better striker than he's remembered as. Mm. I imagine David Fairclough was probably a better striker than he's remembered as as being a super sub. But um, surely he, he's got a part to play. Yeah, but I mean... You're uh, saying sell Divock. I'm saying, yeah, get him out of there. Not good enough. Take a look at the squad. <laughs> say he was not good enough. You know, say this... We want to be, have a squad that can win the Champions League again, that can retain the trophy uh, and, and, and win the title and win more trophies. So you know what? Any, anyone who's dead would get rid of them. I think a, a striker that you could pick up is Patrick Bamford and Divock could come to Leeds. And that would work. He's, he's, he's actually, he's a lethal finisher when he finishes. Uh, you know, when he takes the chance, it looks good. He's a class player. I was talking to someone earlier who, who works at a football club who's who, 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 they, they regretted I know Middlesbrough regret selling him mm. 
He's class. He's what you need. And send a riggy to us. Well, you know, I, I reckon... <coughs> I reckon uh, He's looking at me like I'm being sick. No, 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 <laughs> no, not at all. I, I, you know, so I, I'm a big fan of Bamford. Um, and I, th- I think he's he's got the mobility to work better in the club system, so I can see the point there. I think a riggy would score loads of Could you of mention goals. it to him? Mention it. Maybe put it into <laughs> yeah, I'll give him a call. got a few friends at Anfield. Yeah. Maybe you could just say Bamford, you know, it's an unlikely one, but... <laughs> Lisa let him go for about, I think, 14 million. Mm. I'm not sure Bamford's... Is it, cl- is it the clarinet he plays? He plays a kind of middle violin. class... Is it violin? I think he's I'm not violin. sure that would really fit with anyway. uh, the rock and roll football of the Jürgen Klopp. Listen, let's move it on. I've reduced it to level of the championship from the <laughs> Champions League. Um, is there anything else you want to say, summing up? How do you feel about Spurs' season? It's a tremendous experience to get there. They've never yeah. got that far in the Champions League before. Yeah, I think it might be a, a, a thing that the, the the kind of magnitude of it isn't quite hit home to Spurs fans maybe until some way into next season when perhaps, maybe even when they're playing in the Champions League again. Uh, as you say, it's an incredible achievement for, for a club like Spurs who, uh, as much as we might like to claim are a big club, are absolutely nowhere near the level of, of Liverpool, particularly when you consider the, the history and experience of playing in in that competition. Uh, there's been a few comparisons between the Spurs side of this season and the Liverpool side of last season purely because uh, both finished fourth in the Premier League and both Mm. lost the Champions League final Uh, what Liverpool did at at that point was back their manager well they'd already done that in January by signing the centre-back that they desperately needed then they went out in the summer and signed two midfielders to really bulk up in that area of the pitch and a goalkeeper that obviously mm-hmm. has made a, a massive gonna difference do that? to the team. Well, this is my point. Uh, Good, I'm glad we get into it. <laughs> <laughs> if Spurs go out and spend uh, 100, 150, 200 million pounds on, on three or four, five new players, then they'll have a chance of repeating what they've done this season. I mean, do obviously, you think that's going to happen? I, I suspect possibly not. Okay. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. 
So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Let's move on to uh, the future, not the past. Hunter, on Sunday, you are traveling to the city of Nice, which is yep. nice. Yeah. Um, nice. To see England, Scotland and the Women's World Cup. Yeah, the uh, first game for the England team should be. It's a big one, you know. That when we spoke to some of the lionesses um, for this recent recent feature, it's um, which is the cover story. Cover on story. On the, on yeah, the they issue. were saying that there are quite a few Scottish players at Man City. Uh, there's a couple at Chelsea as well, and that they were saying that this was the one that they'd all sort of earmarked as this is the big one. Obviously, the first game of a World Cup. Always going to be big anyway. Yeah. But this, there's a there's a fair amount of rivalry there. What time is it on? And, and, uh, uh, French time it's five o'clock. No, English time it's five o'clock. Okay. French time will be six o'clock. Um, yes. So yeah, on Sunday. So that minute will be on on a different time on French TV. Yeah, six o'clock. <laughs> <laughs> We're all a little jet lag still. Yeah. <laughs> it's a great way to start the tournament, right, for England. Anyway, to, to play against Scotland, I mean, that's that's the kind of fixture that will really capture people's imagination. I mean, I, I think they never played Scotland in a men's World Cup. I don't think they have. I mean, obviously, in Euro 96, yes. Mm. But I don't think in a World no, Cup. Not in a World Cup. No. So it's quite exciting to have a game like that to start it, to start it all up, get people kind of get people into it, get people into the swing of it. And you know, four years ago, England did fantastically well, got to the semi-final, finished in third place. But the games, because it was in Canada, the games were all on late in the evening. Mm. And that makes it a, a lot more difficult for people to watch. I think they're on kind of 11, 11 o'clock midnight. Yeah. This time around, obviously, it's in France. And as we've just established at great length, it's only one hour ahead. <laughs> uh, so the games will be on at sensible times and people will be able to watch. And uh, people will get behind this team. They're a likeable team. There's lots of fantastic players there. Uh, so it should be a really great tournament. And obviously, England are among the favourites. So There's a fascinating story within the England team that, w- that we've got in the magazine of... Um, one of the players, Farrow, was was homeless when she was first being selected for England. Mm. Yeah, I mean it's incredible the Which stories that the the women have to go through to to get to play, even for the national team, is incredible. Most of them have thought about dropping out. Most of them have thought, "I'm not going to be able to do this," and yet here they are. They're representing their country, and women's football is finally start starting to gather the momentum that it should have had for you know the last hundred years. Yeah. And you interviewed a couple of them, didn't you? Yeah, I spoke to um, Kira Walsh and Demi Stokes. Uh, Kira's uh, quite a lot younger than Demi. She's just getting started. But, I mean, even talking to, to her, she, she never really watched women's football. She didn't, she didn't even know it was really a thing. Mm. Um, so her reference point of, of women's football has been just playing it. Again, just because it doesn't have a, the, well, the coverage. Well, we've got, um, <coughs> I think we've interviewed six of the Lionesses and a uh, big interview with Fran Kirby, who they call the Mini Messi. And we got a brilliant overview of it by Susie Rack, who's mm. uh, the Guardian's women's football writer. And it's, uh, I felt, after reading that piece, that, you know, there's a, after reading all of the pieces, that they genuinely feel, at last, like there's the support there from, you know, for, 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 for girls in their early teens to be, you know, that the sport is being taken seriously. And I know that we work with Nike on this. Uh, they're, very, they're very keen to, and, and really, not just keen, you know, they're really, really involved in developing 
women's football. So, will it be a sellout on Sunday? Will that that stadium be full? I think uh, I can't remember the exact numbers. They said out, out of the fifty odd games, there was a twenty. There was a fifty percent sellout at the moment. Um, yeah, that will pick up. It will pick up. Of course, the tickets aren't expensive, and you know they're they're trying to get they're trying to get more people involved this year. Uh, but the French, one of you was saying, Hunter or, or, or your Connor was saying that. The, the, the French, there's not a lot of coverage of it in, in well, the French media yet. Yeah, well, the the uh, tennis tournament that's currently going on is getting a lot of coverage, but the Women's World Cup is not. Uh, Susie Rack, like you said, is out in Paris, and she was tweeting yes- yesterday morning that if if you were walking the streets, you wouldn't know that a major tournament was kicking off this evening. You wouldn't even you wouldn't know the World Cup was going on there. Mm, uh, um, what I will say is that the French team's kit is great. Oh God, yeah, home and away. Both absolutely you've got gorgeous. A page in the mix, haven't you? A yeah, yeah, kit. yeah. It's, it's probably. Do you think it's the best one that that you've seen for the World Cup? I'd say yeah. Well, actually, we were just uh, writing our top twenty kits of the Women's World Cup, and uh, it mm. is number one and number three of the home and away kits. That England away kit Why is great as well. Why are you doing that? Because it'll get a load of clicks. It gets loads of clicks. Oh, sorry, you're doing it online. <laughs> yeah, we're doing it online. <laughs> I, just, I thought you and Connor were just sitting around yeah. here. No, we're doing uh, it. Hey, you should be putting it at number four. <laughs> it's is written. It? It's so, what's written. that? Is it on the Instagram or is it on the Twitter? No, no, it'll just, it'll just be on. It's on the site. Oh, on the it'll website. Get, it'll get loads and loads of clicks. The Edmonton process in action. Okay, well, <laughs> <coughs> we should just say. Connor, leave this in. If anyone's sitting there going, oh, why is it like four men talking about women's football? We've got women's football editor Claire. We've, got, we've had Anna Kessel has, has interviewed Frank Kirby. They're all at the World Cup, which is like, you know, we didn't just want to get anyone in who didn't and, and, know. And the other thing is, like, you know, we, we need, it, it doesn't matter what your sex is when you watch football and you report on football. You know, we, we need more women writing about men's football. And, you know, men can write about women's football. I think it should be, um, I mean, obviously, there's uh, there's more experts on women's football. Women are experts. And they're more qualified to talk about it than, say, me. But, you know, it's uh, they'll get loads of coverage over the next few weeks. And I think... It'll build. Yeah, as long as the, the women's game gets the coverage and gets the interest and grows, I don't think it matters who talks about it. It is worth saying that 442 was started by a woman. Mm. Yeah. Okay, let's move on very quickly. In and out, England, Holland. James. They're out. Out. What's your take on where England are? I mean, yeah. Hunter mentioned the period of time between the end of the season and, and, and Champions League final. John Stones was, was, was culpable for a couple of goals. Hasn't, has hardly played yeah, for months. I mean, he was in and out of the team towards the back end of the season anyway, wasn't he, at, at City? Um, I, I, it was a kind Any of positives for you? I, I, to be honest, I mean, for the first 70 minutes maybe of the game, it was like a kind of competent, comfortable performance and it looked like in England would kind of hold on and win and mm. go through to the final against Portugal and lose that instead. But it, they kind of lost a little bit of concentration and uh, conceded a goal from a set piece that was probably preventable. It, it, Do you preventable. think the team's too young? I don't think there's but really an alternative, is there? Well, yeah, you just pick older players. Yeah, but there, there aren't any. There aren't any that. Are there's always, al- there's always players. Yeah, this but not of the standard of of international footballers. Well, I, I, I think as long as they go away from this, and when they get together again in the autumn, they go, okay, let's look at the mistakes we made. Yeah, you know, we're, we're going to have a year's more experience. You know, uh, 
you know, by the time that the tournament comes around next season, the, the Euros, you know, let's learn from it. Let's not do stupid things. If we're going to pass out from the back, let's make sure we can do it. And if we can't, put the pump the bloody ball up the pitch. Mm. You know, it's um, let, let's play to our strengths. And England, the, the, the young England players have loads of strengths. And, you know, they should be able to build on where they were last year in um, in Russia in the World Cup, and but I mean they're going to have these tough learning curves. The Dutch have improved out of all recognition over the past eighteen months, and mm-hmm. you know, and I think one of the things I, I I talked to Marcus Rashford uh, a couple of weeks ago, and he was saying they went through a spell where they, they thought they were doing well, they thought they were improving, but every time they come up against a good team, they'd lose. So, you know, and that's what they've got to. That's they've got to change that. They've got to um, be able to beat the good teams. And we're seeing that they're still not quite to the standards where they want to be. Of course, there was the Liverpool and Tottenham players left out, and that'll make a difference. But I, but I think I think England are still in a pretty good place. That's good. That's sorry. I was just going to say that 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 midfield trio probably won't be the the trio next next summer either, which is the big. That'll be the revolving door of England. Mm. Because Fabian Delph hasn't played central midfield for Man City this season, and yet he's starting in a Euro Nations semi-final. I don't know. You may make your own mind up whether that's a big game or not. Well, uh, you know, for me, I think that there was a there was a good piece on the Guardian. I think about his influence in the dressing room. Sometimes there are things go on in football clubs that we don't see, which is about the uh, what you were talking about about the medals. You know, there's. There's a lot of there's a lot of, there's well, a lot to do with football about mentality. We only ever see performance. So anyway, look. Let's fun, funny thing, Ra- Rashford was saying exactly the same thing about Delph. Yeah. He said, you know, he said who's who's impressed him most in the squads and who um, who who surprised him. And he said, Harry Kane impressed him most because he's just brilliant. He said, but Delph was the one who surprised him. He said because he's a uh, you know, he, he keeps the younger lads in line. He's not not scared of a laugh and a joke with them. Particularly when, the captain yeah. last night. Sterling has spoken about how mm. Delph has been a, a yeah. big influence on him, and and and, and maybe that's there's some thinking there. Yeah, and he, he said like you know he's um he, he's 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 you know he, he makes sure everyone has fun, but after the work's done, you know yeah. he's very focused. So he was very he, he praised him an awful lot. Okay, just we've only got a few minutes left. Uh, we are going to talk about Andy's Maradona piece in in the coming weeks on the podcast, uh, but it, it's been picked up so extensively across the media, from the, you know the broadcast, the television channels, to the radio, to the print, and digital, everywhere. It's been everywhere, and I knew it would be when we put. That's why I went with the headline saying, you know, if Man United meet need a, a coach, I'm the man. <coughs> I just give a bit of background. This the. Uh, Chris Flanagan, who sits, uh, is our, one of our staff writers, he said, what about, why don't we try and get an interview with Maradona? Or he, he's in Dorados, the second tier in Mexico. This was really around the, the new film that's coming out, Diego, which is great. Uh, I've seen it, and it's a really, really good film. It's, um, it just tells the story of his time in Napoli, which was amazing. It's basically like being on the tour with the Rolling Stones in 1971. And um, the, the, the most interesting voice in that film isn't Maradona isn't the guy who ran Napoli it's Maradona's personal fitness coach because he you know he basically admits that Maradona was caning it on over the weekend that's the, the hardest game. job in football but he, right? he talks about his amazing commitment so we said look what can we do beyond just getting everybody was going to talk to the producer and the director and so on 
So we just said, let's do it. And I asked Irving Welsh if he could do it because Irving's often based out of Miami and he's he's got two or three films in development so he couldn't. Then I asked a writer, a very good writer, who does a lot of crime reporting out in uh, in L.A., Jeff Mache, but he, he was unable to do it. And uh, Andy said, yeah, I'll do it because he speaks Spanish. So we set off and we had no idea. It was just literally, we'd spoken to Dorados. They said, come, we'll make you welcome, but he doesn't do anything. And... Um, so Andy left England on the Sunday night, straight after uh, the Man United game. He had, a, he had his brother waiting in a car. He left the Man United game five minutes earlier. Um, flew to Paris, flew back over to Manchester to get to, to Mexico. Then the Monday night, so Tuesday morning, 3 a.m., I was awake, and I got a text that just appeared. It was a picture of Maradona reading... The, the issue of 442 with Solskjaer and, and Bielsa, those pieces. And I was just lying in bed on my own, laughing my head off. I couldn't believe it. And so I rang Andy and he said, yep, got him, great, I can't believe it. And and that is the story yeah. of how he got that. I've given you the details of how he originated. But the story of where he is and uh, Maradona came over and spoke to him and he spent some time with his family um, it's not a major in-depth interview. If, if you want to get an in-depth look at, Ma at Maradona, go and see the film because he talks a lot through it. Uh, and but it's it's a, as an as an editor, it was just absolutely fantastic to for one of the staff to come up with that idea. Everyone, you know, kind of get involved in should we do it or not, and then for him to go off and execute it. I'm not going to say any more about it, but do do go and get. It. I think if there wasn't the opportunity for the first time to put on all female front cover together. I think we would have gone with Maradona on, on the cover there. And in the interview, he talks about who he rates, who was the best uh, British midfielders. Uh, I'll give you one of them. One of them played for Manchester United, one of them played for Liverpool. And um, both of them have been managers. Is that right? Yeah, both of them have been managers. So, Get that. He's but definitely, if you're interested in uh, in Maradona anyway, do get this issue because it's a brilliant interview, and you've only had a snippet if you've seen those quotes elsewhere. And uh, you know, a, lo a lot of people talk about you know Messi being the greatest ever, and generally, in my experience, that they're the people who didn't see Maradona. You know, you've if you don't know enough about Mar and no one can know enough about Maradona if you don't know uh, about Maradona get the issue find out about him because this was the greatest footballer of all time it's interesting yeah without yeah. a doubt he's just he was just uh, unbelievable it's nice to hear that because when we were talking about it it was like where is he now because of the emergence of Ronaldo and it's the, the simple fact is if you watch the film Diego football is much easier now you have to be fitter, yeah. and there's, there's probably greater pressures. You know, everything is, is filmed and and and, and uh, followed on social media. But on the pitch, watch the film. But then also where he is working now is fascinating. There are there are um, there are certain parallels in in the not in his lifestyle, but in his you know in the background and the region and who he hung out with in Napoli and. and, <laughs> and and what uh, the, the place where he's working is famous for now. But definitely, um, definitely go and do it. Okay, so thanks, James Moore, Tony Evans, Hunter Godson. Uh, it was great to hear about your trip. What was the, just briefly, 
What was the best thing that happened that had nothing to do with football in the van? <laughs> oh, for for me, it was like, and it wasn't the best thing because it was terrible, but it was the uh, it was the the absolute destruction of the double bed that turns it into from a four of a four berth camper van into a two berth on the first night before we'd even had any sleep, and you know well, it's, well, um, after we had had a few beers to be what happened? Had, uh, uh, well, it, 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 and and Hunter took out the table and and put it down and did everything you're supposed to do. But the 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 um the the what the was this? Is this a, a, an upper bunk? Yeah, no, it was um, it was a table that you put down oh, to, table, to, right, to make okay. you, and and you collapse it to make a, a bed. Yeah, yeah, and and w- it definitely you, collapsed. To be fair, during, during the collapsing process, the the stands of it come off. With all four of you lying next to each other on one massive bed, is that <laughs> the, was that the sleeping arrangement? Well, yeah, well, it might have been if we could have got the bed to work, <laughs> and, th- and then. <laughs> And and then to make it worse, we pulled out the other um, the other part of the bed, and it was it was all pulled out. But we didn't we couldn't make the bed up because the the, the table was broken. <laughs> well, yeah, because we're men. And then um, and then I attempted to gently p- push that back, and the ball bearings just went ping everywhere. You know, it was like so. I mean, the damage you were talking about earlier. That was part of the damage. That was part <laughs> part one. Well, of the well, there, there, there was. Can I ask a question? Was it insured by the company that lent us the the van? And by future, both. But yeah. we're fine. Yeah, it, it was. Reddit point. It, it, it was I a mean, bit like the light socket. The light socket that whoever's was idea brought this out. was was wrong. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, forgot about the light socket. The light socket was just a. Uh, that was a mistake. There was. It had the light, what do you mean the light socket was a mistake? What did you have plugged in there? Phone. You could. They have little USB chargers in the light okay. sockets, which is a great idea. But then. Um, Someone was charging their phone, and I sat on their phone, and the phone just went and just yanked out of the. Oh, the socket the came socket out. The socket came out. Full light came out, and then uh, when we the uh, first moment we got to Calais, stop you here. Um, is this consistent with what you're going to be put in the damage report? <laughs> oh yeah, we've already reported all the oh, damage, yeah, yeah. and it, they've they've said. If, as long as you didn't mean to do it, and none of it will be. Safe, and and, and when um, <laughs> when when I took it back, the guy said to me, he "said Oh, this is this is next to nothing." I mean, I um, I I I mount, well clipped the curb and uh, and you know sort of so the, the side was just the bumper. The just bumper come loose. It, I tell you what, it sounds. I, I've been in earthquakes. I've been I've been in seven point five earthquakes. The San Andreas fault and the crack. When I hit the cab, was louder than the earthquake. Yeah, I honestly, thought it destroyed the whole thing. And when, when I got out and saw how little damage there was, I was like, Jesus. Yeah. Right, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean. So anyway, uh, this has been the 442 podcast. Uh, do get the latest issue of the magazine. It features Andy Mitten's interview with Maradona, Susie Rack on the Lionesses, Irvin Welsh on Hibs, and the amazing story of the kidnapping of Alfredo Di Stefano when he was the world's top player in the 50s. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast via Spotify and iTunes. And you can follow us on Twitter at 442. What's the Instagram? At 442UK. At, okay, thanks, Hunter. Um, if you've enjoyed this podcast, please give us a five-star rating on iTunes. Thank you. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. 
For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.